Welcome to Messages and More, a podcast channel of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. This channel plays our weekly sermons and other content relevant to our church community. Good morning, good morning, church. We are so happy you're here this morning. My name is Luke. I'm the ministry director here at, well, youth ministry director here at Watertown, and we just hope Happy you are here this morning. Last weekend, we had the fall kickoff, which I thought went exceptionally well. It was so amazing to see the new families, see the old faces here. It was just so, so awesome, and I was so, so grateful to be a part of that. And this past week as well was our Wednesday night family night kickoff, and I saw some of your faces there, and it was so, so great to have the youth group kick off again and get back to just teaching God's word to the youth. It's just so amazing. And... If you're newer to our church, we just want to welcome you here. And if we if we don't really know you that well, there is a little bookmark in front of the seat pocket in front of you. These are brand new that we're trying out. If you're newer here, go ahead and take one of those, fill it out, scan the QR code, or bring it back to the welcome desk over there. And there should be someone waiting there for you to come and talk about what our church is all about and just where we're going in the future because we're all about helping people find and follow Jesus for a lifetime. So guys, as we enter into a time of worship, I I thought it'd be best to start with prayer. So would you guys please pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, for your overwhelming grace and generosity towards us to allow us to continue breathing and living out our lives. And Lord, let us feel that grace this morning. Whether we feel guilt or shame, allow it to dissipate. Allow your grace to overflow us as we hear from Bruce, as we sing praise to you from the worship team, as we hear prayer from Ed. Lord, allow it all to be worship and all to be glorifying you, God. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, For those that haven't met me, I'm Bruce Drugsma. I am the senior pastor here at Watertown Evangelical Free Church and worship team. Thank you. Um, I uh, thank you very much for leading us in worship this morning. It's like you were looking at my notes or something, um, because a lot of the, what we sang in worship is what we are going to be talking about this morning, because we are continuing our series on capital letters, looking at these, these words in Scripture that I think desire some special focus from us. We're going to be looking at this capital G God this morning. Uh, before we get into that, I do. we are going to try something that we haven't done in a little while here. It's a Mentimeter. So up on the screen, you're going to see a QR code if you have your smartphone. Uh, go ahead and take it out. Scan the QR code. You're going to vote on your favorite to least favorite superhero. I promise you this does tie in. If your phone doesn't have a camera and you'd still like to do it, and you have something that does connect to the internet, uh, you can go to menti.com and enter in the code if you can't read it. The code is 66726289. And so you're going to go there. You're going to rank them in order. Um, There might be one that is missing that is your favorite. I am sorry. We went with the five that I could come up with. So um, you're going to rank those. And then when you're done, we'll see the ranking and I'll explain why you're wrong. So it's it's going to be great fun. Um, But while you do that, I am going to kind of explain for those that maybe haven't been here what we're doing with this series, this capital letters series, looking at these words. And we, we talked last week about the church, the capital C church, that there is a difference between the capital C church, the church universal throughout all time, and the local church, the small C church. And that's not necessarily a better or worse, but it is something that God gives some distinctions on that we should bear in mind. 
Uh, it should impact how we see the church, that we should see the church as people, not programs. It should impact how our body acts toward each other, our culture as a local congregation uh, versus the universal church, and our mission, our focus, that what unifies us as a local church, small C church, unifies us with the big C church. And so we're looking at these terms throughout, throughout scripture and throughout theology and throughout uh, history and seeing these words that are over here, truth, glory, goodness, God, worship, and how they maybe have a special focus, a different focus, a better use focus, a time where we need to acknowledge that scripture teaches something about this, that we should bear in mind that our understanding as Christians may be different than the understandings of the world, may be different than the understandings uh, of, of others. So um, we're that's kind of where we're going, and as we look at God, we're going to talk about this morning what sets God apart and what makes God, capital G God, and when do we have a small g, lowercase g view of God? When do we hold God up where he belongs, and when do we not, and what are some of those, those things? So we're looking at our rankings there, and man, that is not how I expected that to come out. <laughs> Captain America, Really? Number one, oh, man, uh, so my personal preference is, uh, is, is Batman. Um, I think Batman should be number one, mostly because all the rest in my mind are unattainable for me, but I could still get bitten by a radioactive spider and, maintain, and gain those powers that Batman has, and the rest are all unattainable for me. So that's kind of my attitude. That's why I like Batman, but apparently we like Captain America here. Uh, which, is, which is unfortunate, but um, we'll, we'll work through that as a church, I am sure. But the question is, why, why am I doing this? Why am I bringing this up? Because I want to ask the question, what makes a superhero a superhero? What is the number one criteria of a superhero? Is it a cape? Is it a mask? Is it a fancy name? Is it, is it a dark and sordid past? What makes a superhero a superhero? Well, the number one criteria is that they have a superpower. If you look at all those names, with the exception of uh, maybe Captain America, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Spider-Man, their name implies that they have some uh, supernatural ability. They have some power, some superpower. They have some ability to go super. I don't. That's why I'm not a superhero. I have not been bit by a radioactive spider. I have not invested millions in technology and Taekwondo classes. I am not a superhero. And what does that have to do with God? Well, what is our number one thing that makes God, God? What is the number one thing that God needs to have? And that is God is God. And it sounds so ridiculous in the same way that saying a superhero has to be super. But it's so foundational that our view of God, number one, God has to be a deity. God has to be more than. God has to be greater than. And I cannot fully explain God in a 30-minute sermon. I can't. Um, kind of like the, uh, when we talked about the church. We really can't. The difference here is that I would argue nobody. You could sit here with me for a week and a half. We could, we could go through a year's worth of Sundays talking about who God is, and I would never be able to fully explain who God is because God is God. 
And by nature of being God, he is beyond our ability to fully understand and comprehend. And uh, there is a famous argument that Anselm of Canterbury makes, and I'm not going to go through it because he makes it in a different language. And when you say it in English, it just sounds like technobabble. But it, 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 he makes this argument that if God were fully understandable, if I could comprehend God in my mind, by default, God wouldn't be God. God would be something in my mind, because if I can comprehend God, he's not God. God has to be greater than we can understand because he's God. It's foundational to who he, ha- who he is. So if we're going to have a capital G, God, he has to exceed our ability to understand. And if he exceeds our ability to understand, he for sure exceeds my ability to explain him to anyone. God is greater than So this morning we will look at God and we will focus on four areas of who God is. And and again, it's not uh, all-inclusive, right? You might sit there and go, well, he didn't talk about this attribute of God or that attribute of God. And you're right, I didn't. There's some that I'm not going to. But I'm going to pick four that this morning I want us to focus on because I think they build us to a spot where we can walk out of here going, I feel like I have a little bit more of an understanding of who God is and how that capital G God view of God affects my life from here on out. So what's our first focus area? Our first focus area is this, God is holy. Our first area of focus is God's holiness. Holiness is the idea that something is set apart other than, outside of, and I don't mean outside of like God is some inventor who started the earth like some giant machine and sets it off to run and says, well, good luck with that and goes over here. Not that kind of other. Not that kind of separated from, but the kind of separated that we use when we set apart something for a special use, something that is holy, something that is perfect, something that is other than. God is holy. And one way that we talk about God's holiness, that's kind of a weird way that we talk about it, is jealousy. And I say it's weird because we don't like that word. We read in scripture that God is a jealous God, and sometimes we struggle with that. Partly because later in the Bible, Paul in Galatians will list jealousy as an act of the flesh. If I'm not supposed to be jealous, why can God be jealous? And what does that have to do with his holiness? Why do we celebrate God's jealousy? And there is a good theological reason. God's jealousy is based on God's completeness. God is holy partly because God is complete. I am not complete. I've been working my entire life and I'm still not complete. I'm trying to be a better husband, a better father, a better son. It's a constant pursuit. God is complete. We read that in Revelation chapter four, verse 11. You are worthy, John says, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power. He is worthy, not will be, not can be, he is. God is complete. God is worthy because he is complete in and of himself. And we are not worthy because as humans, we are not complete. And so therefore, when God in his completeness is jealous of our focus on another God, a small g God, that is based in his completeness. When we are jealous, it is based in our incompleteness. There's a distinction there. God's jealousy is based on God protecting his glory. And his honor. 
In contrast, our jealousy is based on selfishness and pride. And there's a distinction there. So if we can settle the fact that God deserves glory and God deserves honor, and when anything receives it other than him, it is falling short, we can understand where that jealousy idea comes from and how it differs than our view of jealousy, our use of jealousy, because God is holy. Exodus three fourteen, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God is complete in himself. God is God. God does not need another. And this, this passage is a hard one for us to understand because in English, I am isn't a name. God is using it as a name. I am isn't a name. When I had the opportunity to go to China and teach English with Camp Shamana many years ago, we had students show up who had been taking English classes from Chinese speakers who knew English. And there's always a challenge when you're teaching a language that's not your native language, right? There's always a challenge there. And so they would give them English names in the same way that when I was in high school, my Spanish teacher made me go by a Spanish name. And they would give them these English names. So these students would show up at camp and we were gonna teach them English. We'd ask them if they already had an English name and several of them did and a lot of them were normal, but a couple of them had not really names, nouns, fish. We had a student named Fish. We had a student named Spider. Um, those are not names. I mean, you, sure, you could name your kid that if you want to. Um, I'll struggle with the baby dedication, I promise you that. But you can name your kid that, but it's not really a name, it's a noun. And, and before I think that I'm any better than them, I asked them to give me a name, and they said, well, what's, what's your name, Bruce, mean in English? I said, well, Bruce in Scottish, the root of it is thicket. They said, oh, we have a word for that, Guanlin. Your name is Guan Lin. Oh, I have a Chinese name now. I have a Chinese name, I have an English name, and I have a Spanish name. Look at me, I'm multicultural. And then uh, several years went by and I was working at a church that had a Chinese ministry and we had a lady leading it uh, by the name of Sai who grew up in China. And I said, hey Sai, good to meet you. My name is Bruce, but I actually have a Chinese name. And she goes, oh great, what is it? I said, Guan Lin. She goes, that's not a name, that's a noun. It means thicket. I said, yes, it means thicket. That's what my name means. She goes, yeah, but it's not a name. I did the exact same thing. And so we could read this passage in Exodus and go, I am really isn't a name. And that'd be correct. It's really more about God's being. It's not a name in the way that we commonly understand names because it's about his being. A better way for us to translate it would be, I cause to be because I cause to be. God is the source of everything because God is complete. It's tied to his being. It's tied to his very nature. Anything I create comes from something outside of me. I can't build a bookshelf in and of myself. I need lumber. I need lumber that I didn't create. God causes to be because he causes to be. And then in, in a further conversation with the Israelites and with us about his being, he goes on in Exodus chapter 20. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
If God is the only thing that fully exists in and of himself, then ascribing honor to anything else is wrong because it is coming out of God ultimately. We are ascribing glory and honor to something God created, whether that's a human or an idea or or nature. These are less thans. These are small g gods. And, And it's easy for us to think that we don't fall into this trap right? Idolatry, the worship of pagan idols is not a common thing in our world. It it does exist. I could point you to a place within 30 miles of here, multiple places where people worship an idol, a physical being. I could could take you like I did. I had the opportunity to go to Mongolia as well several years ago, and the Christians in Mongolia that we were meeting with took us to a spot where people bowed down and worshiped Mother Tree, which was a dead stump. It still happens in our world, but it's also tempting for us to go, okay, so fine, Bruce, it does happen, but I don't do that. Yes, we do. We all do. We all worship things that aren't God. We do it all the time. We lift things up thinking that that our completeness in life will come from something else besides God. Anytime we lift something up going, this will bring me safety, this will bring me security, when we think that if we vote for a certain policy or candidate, that will save our world, when we think that we get a certain promotion or a power position, that will bring security, when we think that that raise or that income level, that will bring about our happiness. Anytime we put our stock in those things, we are worshiping an idol. We have lifted something else up and said, my completeness doesn't come from God, it comes from these other things. That's idolatry. We all do it. And we're really no different than the person who bows down and worships a tree. So our capital G, God, is holy. And we need to be jealous of his honor and his glory and his completeness and his perfection. I do want to take a moment, though, and address the idea that we as Christians worship God in Trinity. And that's a complicated thing to understand, but I can't not talk about it when we talk about God. Partly because his completeness is tied into this. We don't worship three gods. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We worship a God, unified in three persons. And it's complicated, and this is the part where we don't understand fully, but we know from Scripture, even though the word Trinity doesn't exist anywhere in the Bible, we know from Scripture it's there. We see, we see uh, throughout the creation story, God referring to himself in the plural. Let us create. Later we will see Jesus claim the same name, I am, in John 18. At the baptism of Jesus, we'll see the Father affirming Jesus, and we'll see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove in Matthew 3. And in Matthew 28, we see Jesus calling us to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, ascribing worship and glory and honor to all three persons. And I bring that up because God is complete in the Trinity, and and I think sometimes we like to parcel God out because it's easier for us to understand, but that isn't who God is. God is complete, and anytime we lift the Father above the Son or the Holy Spirit above the Father or any other combination— We're breaking apart God and trying to make God easier to understand. But again, God isn't easy to understand. The gospel is, but God isn't. And we need to wrestle with that. We need to live in that tension because God is holy. And God is complete. And God is jealous of our worship. 
But this God, this holy Trinitarian God, while being completely separate from us, does not hide from us. Our God is knowable. We can know God, and if God is truly God and God is completely separate, how can therefore God be knowable? If God is so complicated that I can't explain him to you in 30 minutes, how can you presume to know God? Well, we can't presume to know everything about God, but God does show himself to us. And we need to know God. We need to become students of God, this capital G, God. So how do you begin to know an unknowable God? It's not that he's unknowable, it's that he's beyond our complete knowledge, but we can know him. And a couple of quick things we rely on to help us know God. First, he does not change. God does not change. In a world of chaos, in a world of shifting shadows, in a world where everything seems to constantly be changing, it's nice to know that God does not change. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this consistency is tied to his being. It is more than who he is. It is what he is. God, if God is going to be all-knowing, all-powerful, all-just, all-good, all these all-things, all-present, he cannot change. Because everything is tied to him. If he were to change, it would throw off everything. So God does not change. Numbers 23, 19 takes it a step further. God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Why is this consistency of God so important? Because it ties into everything. It is who he is. It is his being. And if we are going to worship a capital G God, we need to know who God is. And these knowable parts of him, this is what makes him knowable. If God changed constantly, how would we know? If God changed his mind and changed his being and became something else constantly, there'd be no hope for us to understand. But because God is perfect and God is holy and God is consistent and God, all of these things make God knowable to us. God is also perfect. Psalm 1830. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is is flawless. And so we cannot know God fully this side of eternity, but we do have some steps we can take to know these things. And obviously I've used a lot of scripture in this. That is one way we get to know God, but it's not the only way we get to know God. God has revealed himself to us in many ways, one of which, and the key one is scripture, and we'll get to that in a moment. But Romans 1 also tells us, Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people were, are without excuse. Because as we look at the world, and that's kind of what Anselm was getting at, this idea that as I look at the world, I can look at it and say, this couldn't just appear. Something had to cause it. And that might not be enough to drive people to a knowledge of God, but it's, it's out there. God has put himself out there in, in our world. And we can look around and we can and see the complexity of the earth and see the complexity of humanity and we should be drawn to question where it all came from. We should be drawn to start wrestling with how did this happen? And Paul will go even further and remind us that not only is it written in the world but it is written on our hearts. 
But even that, it does not stop there. It is written in the world. It is written on our hearts. And 2 Timothy will tell us, verses 14 through 17, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we get this glimpse that where God has revealed himself in scripture and, and, and written his word on our hearts, but we also see through scripture and through the life of Jesus Christ, we get this special understanding of who God is, and it is the best image we have of what God is like. So my question for you is this, do you? Do you know God? Have you taken time to look into God's word to study what God is about? Have you taken time in prayer and meditation to, to wrestle with who God is? Do you know God? If God is knowable, do you? What are the steps you are taking to know this God? And often I'll hear people in crisis say things like, I just wish I knew what God was doing. That's a fair question. There've been multiple times in my life where I've wished I had known what God was doing. But I also know people who will say that in a tone of wonder and in a tone of, of trust. But I also know people that say that in a tone of condemnation, as if they know better what God should be doing. What is God thinking? If we know God, if we see his eternal power and divine nature, we should be able to rest easy in spite of the chaos because God is consistent, because God is holy, because God is perfect, because God is all-knowing, all-present, all-just, and our all-in-all. So let me ask you, where is your knowledge of God derived? Is it from looking around at the chaos of the world and assuming there is no God because there's chaos, or is it looking around, seeing God's invisible qualities, seeing God in scripture and saying, I might not understand, but I'm gonna trust that God is knowable. Because I would argue that if we know God in those moments when, when we get frustrated, when we don't know what God is doing, if we do know him, even though we don't know what he's doing, as one of our songs challenged us this morning, we can trust that God is good. That maybe it's through the tears, maybe it's through the pain, maybe it's through the fire that God is presenting himself. I don't know, maybe you've been around church long enough. I know as a kid, there were times that I remember the pastor standing up front and saying, God is good, and the congregation would respond with, all the time. And all the time, and the congregation responds with, God is good. Some of you grew up with that as well. That used to be a thing that I heard in church. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. So where does that come from? Where, where, how do we know that God is good? When we, when we look around and see such a broken world, how do we trust and know that God is good? That's based on Scripture. And again, we've talked about this. We talked about this last week with the church, that we want a church culture that is good based on God's goodness. We talked about it with Psalm 23, that the goodness of God will follow us. It's also Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. We know that because God is the creator. God created this world. As we look around and we see the invisible qualities, we trust that God is the creator. And if God is the creator, 
and his creation is good, then even when it doesn't make sense, we must trust that the creator has a fuller perspective than we do. And that his goodness is not tied to my understanding of goodness. That I would like it to be good in the way I would like it to be good. But that is not always the way that God works. And so we see God moving from the moment of creation to the end of time to bring about his plan, not Bruce's plan. We see him moving throughout all of creation to see him working. And again, he is not an inventor who started the machine and sent it off. He is a good God who cares about his creation, and we are his creation. And and God's word goes even further to say that not only are we his creation, we are created in his image, in his likeness. And so God is good, even at times where it doesn't feel like it. Philippians 2, verses 8 through 11 Speaking of Jesus, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And note that last verse, to the glory of God the Father. God created for his glory. Our responsibility as the creation is to worship. And please note as well, not only what those verses say, but what they don't say. They don't say that we are to bow and worship and glory and honor God when it goes our way. When we understand why it happened, the, the, the Bible will tell us that the pot can't turn to the potter and say, why did you do this? God is good because he is the creator. We must trust that goodness. That ultimately his reason for creating, his reason for moving might be beyond our understanding. But that does not change his goodness. So let me ask you, do you worship your creator or the creation? When we see the Grand Canyon, when we see the the remarkable creation of the world, do we worship our creator? But again, back to that pagan thing, I don't think that's as much of a temptation for us to worship the actual creation, except when that creation is us except for those times when we lift our idea of what God should do up. And we go, God, why didn't you do it my way? I think it should have been this way. And therefore, I know better than you, God, which makes me higher than you, and therefore, I am worshiping myself. Where have we tried to step into that role of goodness and creator and said, no, no, God, I've got it from here. Where do we lift the creation over the creator? By assuming that we know better than God. And ultimately, all of this, in my mind, builds to this idea that all of this matters because God is relational. God is personal. God cares about you individually and me individually. And though it sometimes feels like we don't know what God is doing, we do know that he personally cares because I think this is what all this builds at. God is holy and set apart from us, but he is also knowable. And we know him, therefore we have access to him. And when we have access to him, we begin to see that God is good. And if we begin to see that God is good, why is God good to us? Because God cares for us individually and personally. God is relational. This is why it matters how we see God, because God desires a relationship with us. Our relationship with God has fallen apart. Sin has entered and broken down our relationship, but because of God's holiness, because of God's goodness, because of God's 
uh, our ability to know who God is, we have the ability to build back that relationship through the work of Jesus Christ. God desires us to be in a personal relationship with him. Of all the things we have looked at this morning, this one should be the most mind-blowing. And the, the systematic theologian Wayne Grudem puts it this way. Apart from the true religion found in the Bible, no system of religion has a God who is both infinite and personal. That is the God we worship. A God who is both infinite and personal. So what does that mean for us today? It means we are never alone. Matthew 28, 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. As believers, even in those times where we don't know what God is doing and we feel very alone, we can rest assured that God is present with us. We are never alone. It means we need not fear, Isaiah 41, 10, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will withhold, I will I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. While we can be discouraged and dismayed at what appears to be a world falling apart, we know as well we need not fear. God is with us. It means we have hope. As scripture says, Romans 10, 11, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. As long as we stand with God, we always have hope. Our big G God is deity. He will make it right, even if it's not in our lifetime. It means we are loved, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, that God loves us all deeply, and ultimately it means everything. Because if God desires a relationship with him and we don't have it, we lose everything. And if God desires a relationship with him and we have it, we gain everything. Because ultimately what happens in this world is temporary. And we have to live with eternity in mind. This idea that if I have God, I don't have to worry about anything else. I have God. And so if you are feeling hopeless, alone, fearful, unloved, maybe consider your view of God. Or maybe if you have not taken the opportunity to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you have said, I'm going to stop lifting myself up as the big G God of my life. And I'm going to lift you up as my Lord and Savior and acknowledge that you are the big G God and I am not. Maybe call on him this morning. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. The beauty of our personal, relational God is that all it costs for us to have that relationship restored is to call on him. That's it. We don't have to, to, to bring sacrifices to a tree stump. We don't have to, to kill an animal. We don't have to do all of these things. We don't, it's not about what we do. It's about having that faith in Jesus Christ. If we have faith in Jesus Christ, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus, Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what it takes. And you gain everything. So my question is, have you? And if not, I can think of no better morning than this morning to do that. But if you have and you're not feeling that, 
maybe consider where you're lifting yourself up as the big G God in your life. And maybe set yourself down and put God where he belongs. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you are God, Lord, and with that, I thank you that we are not. God, I thank you that in the chaos of life, Lord, we can look to somebody who knows so much more than us, who can see all of history and time and the universe laid out like a map. And God, not only do you know it, but you wrote it. And so God, we can trust. We can trust in your goodness. God, we can trust in your holiness. We can trust in, in, in you because we know you. So Lord, help us to make you the God of our life, Lord, and to set down anything else, including ourselves, that we lift up to the role that you alone should hold. I pray this in your name. Amen. A couple of uh, quick announcements before we end this morning. Um, you should see on the screen shortly all of the fall options if you are looking for ways to get to know God where you feel like you need to take that next step in your faith, I would encourage you to check out these options. There's options up there for adults. There's options up there for kids, for youth. Um, I would encourage you to plug into those. Get to know our knowable God. I would also encourage you, we want to stay in touch with you. Part of being a church is being a community, and communication is part of that. And so you should have gotten an email this week or a couple of them from our new email system. Again, if you did not, uh, that's not our intent. Our intent was not to cut you out. We don't dislike you. It's not a subtle way of us pushing you out the door. Uh, we want to stay in communication with you. Please talk to myself or share um, or follow the QR code and you can sign up. If you don't get those communications from our kids, youth, etc., and would like to, um, that's how you sign up and get on those so we can stay in touch, stay in community and relationship, and so we can pursue God together. That's all I have for this morning. Um, let us end with this benediction from 1 Timothy 1.17. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Messages and More, a ministry of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. To find out more, visit us online at wevfree.org.